I want to leave with you this morning, this morning of our communion service, the verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 10. Of how much sorer punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy, who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified, an unholy thing, and have done despite unto the Spirit of grace. I should like to highlight three things in this verse, or three terms that stand out. The Son of God, the blood of the covenant, the spirit of grace. They stand out because you may have noticed that these are the terms that have the definite articles. In fact, in the original there are six Greek articles, making the terms to stand out largely, looming like towers in the text. The Son of the God, the blood of the covenant, the spirit of the grace, as we might literally translate the words. And the spirit here, of course, is the Holy Spirit, and our authors are quite right to give it the capital S. And these expressions set forth to us the essence of the gospel. It is because of these three things that people are saved. It is because of these three things that we have a covenant communion meal that we can participate at this morning. There are six wonderful and beautiful things in these terms. They're like a treasure trove like a jewel box of infinite, immeasurable riches for our souls. There's the Son. There's the living God. There's the precious blood. There is the covenant, the everlasting covenant of the eternal God. There is the Spirit, the blessed Holy Spirit, the divine Comforter. And there is the marvelous, matchless grace of God. All of these six blessed and precious things are described in these terms. The context in which the apostle brings them in is the context of apostasy from the gospel. The terrible sin of apostasy, leaving this precious treasure trove of gospel glory the terrible wickedness and the darkness of apostasy. And it is a sad reality that there are persons who once professed the gospel that do turn away from it. Men like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ, who betrayed the innocent precious blood. Men like Demas who forsook this treasure box, this glorious gospel, and turned again to go to the vomit of the world. There were men like that in New Testament times 
And there are still men like that today. As John tells us, even now there are many antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued. Apostates don't continue. Apostates turn away and leave the jewelry box of the gospel. And the danger of apostasy is very real. And every, I say every professing Christian, has to guard against it and to watch with diligence their hearts. I say danger because apostasy is punishable. Does not say there of how much sorer punishment. Turning away from the glory of the gospel is punishable. Vengeance belongs unto God. He recompenses The Lord judges his people. Apostates don't go to heaven. Jude says, Wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Oh, the fearful doom of apostasy. What is apostasy? Well, it's described here in our text as three things. Treading underfoot the Son of God, counting the blood of the covenant an unholy thing, doing despite to the Spirit of grace. That's apostasy. It's not only turning from it, it's turning against it. It's spurning it. It's repudiating it. It is not just backsliding which is bad in itself. But it goes beyond that to turn against that which was professed. God save us from apostasy. Now I'm not speaking about apostasy this morning, though that is, I remind you, the context of the verse. But I'm speaking about the heart and the essence of the gospel Contained in these three terms. The Son of God, the blood of the covenant, the spirit of the matchless grace. First of all then, we have the Son of God. This comes first. And it must come first. Because that's where the gospel begins. The gospel starts with God. The redemption of sinners begins with the Lord. You know, after man fell, that seemed to be it for mankind. Death entered, doom came. That's the way it was for the angels that sinned. You know, there was a fall in heaven before there was a fall in earth. But when the angels fell, that was it. Cast out of heaven. No son of God to redeem them. No covenant eternal to reclaim them. No precious blood to purify them. No spirit to regenerate them and restore them. No fallen angels lost, doomed, eternally lost, 
eternally doomed, no hope. The same doom, however, was not the portion of the human race. The Son of God came. There was a Redeemer for men, for humankind. There was one who was to be incarnate in time. There was a covenant, a covenant of grace that God ensured for humankind. It was different with men. With men, but not with angels. God had a way of salvation. God had a gospel for all of mankind. And that is why to apostatize from that is like the angelic fall. There's no hope. There's no other covenant. There's no other redeemer. There's no other blood. There's no other sacrifice for sins, as the apostle says. There remaineth nothing else. So apostatizing from that is like the fall of the angels. Doom, doom, endless doom. So it starts with God. The Son of God love me, the sinner. And this expression tells us, of course, of that wonderful person that we believe in and love. And that's one person, of course, the Son of God. But two persons are implied. There is the Son of God and there is the God whose Son he is. So there are two persons in that expression. We must never forget that. The Son on one hand and the Father of the Son on the other hand. Two persons. No covenant without the two persons. These persons are in covenant. This is an everlasting covenant. No covenant with sinners except the Father is in covenant with Christ, his Son, the head of sinners. And so there's a covenant made with Christ that he goes on to mention. But it all begins with God, the Son and the Father. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Nor is the Holy Spirit excluded because he is in the term the Spirit of grace. All three persons enclose the covenant. All three persons enclose the blood of the covenant. The Son, the Father on one side, the Spirit of grace on the other side, enclosing, enfolding this marvelous covenant of grace that saves sinners. Grace and the three persons enfolding the covenant ratified by the blood of one of those persons, the Son of God. So let us not be ashamed, congregation, ever before Muslim, Jew, or Jehovah Witness at the doctrine of the Trinity. Because God is three. One and three, three and one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we are not ashamed of the doctrine, though we confess we cannot comprehend it. But it is the doctrine of the Word of God. And all three persons bear relation unto that everlasting covenant which lies at the very heart 
of these terms. And those who apostatize, disown their baptism, which is a baptism in the one name, the one divine name of God, who is three, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So, at the essence of the gospel is the Trinity, the triune God, the God that we know by experience as our Father in heaven, as our Saviour, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, and as the indwelling Comforter, the Spirit of marvellous grace. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit then are present in the text. Now the person of the Son of God is to the fore, and he is mentioned first because he was the person who became man. He was the person who was incarnate. The Word made flesh, the last Adam, the second man, the new man. It is the Son of God who brings us the gospel, who brings us the salvation. The blood is his blood. Not the blood of the Father, not the blood of the Holy Spirit, but the blood of the Son of God. And this epistle introduced us to the Son of God and to the divine glory. You remember it. God has spoken unto us by his Son. He's the brightness of his glory. He's the very express image of his person. He's the one who upholds everything, who preserves the world, who redeems us by his blood, and who is set down at the right hand of the Father, the Son of God. And this is the foundation of our Christian faith. Because the church confesses the divine sonship. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's right, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't taught you that, but my Father which in heaven has revealed it to you as he reveals to all my people. And upon this foundation, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the foundation. The divine and supreme deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The apostles discovered this because they saw him do such great things that they stood aghast and they said, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And on the faith of this, a person may be baptized. Like the Ethiopian believer What forbids that I be baptized? He says, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you may be baptized. I do believe. And he was baptized in the name of the Lord. The divine Sonship, the Son of God. Christ is not a son by adoption as we are. Christ is not a son by creation as angels are. And as Jehovah Witnesses teach, Christ is a Son eternal 
by eternal generation, a son who has the true divine essence, the one undivided essence he possesses. True God of true God. God of God, very God of very God. The only and true Son that has the true divine nature in its completeness. It is an eternal relationship in the Godhead. Not made, not created, begotten. Eternally begotten. This is a confession of the church. That's what apostates turn away from. The supreme deity of Jesus Christ. You know the great champion of the deity of Christ in Ulster. Was a great Presbyterian minister called Dr. Henry Cook. And he championed the cause against Arianism. Which had poisoned so many of the churches. And in the grace of God obtained a victory too. But he had his own battles. He had a dream on one occasion. And in that dream, Satan came to him. And he said to Dr. Henry Cook in the dream, he says, I have more experience than you. I have seen what you never saw. I have heard what you could never have heard. I have been in heaven where you never were. And now I affirm on indisputable authority, even the authority of my own personal knowledge. That Jesus Christ is not God. Henry Cook was so angry and so vehement. That he awoke out of his sleep. Saying the words. And I affirm. On the infallible testimony of God's own word. That when the devil speaketh a lie. Which this is. He speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And he's the father of all apostasy. And we have to guard ourselves against his devices. And we have to endlessly say, it is written, it is written. In the weapon of our warfare against his deceit. Apostasy treads underfoot the Son of God. That's what it says in the text. Have trodden underfoot the Son of God. Imagine that. I remember whenever I was walking on occasion, there were all these little frogs, little baby frogs, and thousands and thousands and thousands of them, and they came out along the track and along the path, and you couldn't but stand on them. You couldn't avoid them. You'd have had to stand still. You just walked on. What can you do? They're just little frogs. Dirt, dust and worms or whatever. Ah. Like men stand on salt. Like salt that has lost its savour. Don't they say it's trodden on the foot of men. They just throw it out. They're on the ground, on the frost, whatever. And they tread it underfoot. But you don't do that to Christ. You can't do that to Christ. You can't be regardless, careless with the saviour. The pigs, don't they trample underfoot? The pearls, the Bible says, don't give your pearls to pigs because they'll just trample them underfoot. Oh, 
unworthy things are trampled underfoot. Our precious things, if you have no sense and no understanding, and apostates are foolhardy, foolish to trample underfoot the Son of God. Vile wickedness, no respect. They scorn his deity, they trample it underfoot. And this is why this sin of apostasy is so punishable. Because it's not a mere man they trample underfoot. It's not even an angel that they trample underfoot. It's the Son of God. And so let us hold fast to our faith in Christ. Let us guard our faith in him. Let us nourish our love for him. So that we exalt him. So that we lift him up out of the common path of our life. We lift him up to set him in preeminence and prominence. Never to trample him underfoot. Never to be careless towards him. Never to neglect him. Let us guard against the beginnings of apostasy. Let us guard against the loss of faith in him. Let us guard against the lessening of affection for him. Because these are the seeds of apostasy. And we don't know what they grow into. So let us guard. Believe in him. Love him. And when coldness enters, pray that you may be saved from a carnal spirit and from dead forms. Beware. Never be careless about Jesus Christ. And so fly to him and say, quicken me. Quicken me in the way. Draw me. Draw me and I run after thee. But never to tread thee under feet. So never spurn Christ. Never spurn his word or his table that he calls you to. Not under feet but overhead. Him hath God exalted to his own right hand to be a prince and a saviour. He's not even under the Father's feet. For the Father hath exalted him and put all things under his feet. That's where we want to be. Under his feet. Let him tread upon us. Let him lift himself upon us. Let him exalt himself above our feeble, useless, vain humanity. And exalt himself. But let us not exalt over him. What did Psalmist say? I've set the Lord always before me. Always before me. Lest I forget him. Lest I trample him under feet. The second thing is the blood of the covenant. There are two precious things here. The blood on the one hand. And the everlasting covenant on the other. That's God's covenant. It's what saves us. It's the guarantee. It's the covenant of grace. It's the covenant of salvation. It's the reason why there are people of God. There are the children of God. Because of this covenant. This covenant gives them an eternal inheritance. Free from all sin and woes. But it is the covenant that must be ratified. With blood. Precious blood. The blood of Christ. The blood of the Son of God. Securing all its promised items. 
And that follows on from the first, the Son of God. It's his precious blood, you see. And that's what makes apostasy so vile. Because it tramples under feet the Redeemer, the Son of God, who shed his blood. I mean, imagine that, the one who shed his blood. Grace, trampling underfoot grace. I mean, to trample underfoot God, and many people do that, to trample underfoot God, and that's wicked. His justice, his righteousness, his holiness, all of those things they have no regard for. And it is an unspeakable wicked thing to trample under a holy God. But the blood of the Son of God that is shed for sinners in grace. What sin is that that spurns this, that tramples this underfoot? A God who gave his son, a, a son who giving himself and his blood for salvation, how much punishable must that be to trample that underfoot? Divine grace, infinite madness, infinite badness that would do such a thing. This blood is precious, not only because of him who shed it, but also for the benefits that it brings in the everlasting covenant. It brings all covenant blessings, as we often sing, all that God has for sinners, cleansing, reconciliation to God, eternal life, a new heart, the Spirit of God ever with you, the forgiveness of sins, all these covenant blessings are the benefits of the blood of the covenant. The inseparableness of the covenant and the blood to bring the benefits therein contained. It all flows in the fountain of blood from Christ's side. And apostates, they look upon that as an unholy thing. Uh, and by that is not meant a wicked thing necessarily, but an unholy thing is, is a common thing. Just an ordinary thing. It may be a good thing, it may be a precious thing, but it's not set apart by God, it's not consecrated, it's not holy. And so the people say, oh, his blood is just ordinary blood, it's just a blood, just like the blood of those two thieves there. It's not holy. An unholy thing. Christ's blood is holy for it sanctifies, it cleanses, it has power. Christ's death is not ordinary death, not a common death. Not like the death of other men. Christ's death is not like the death of other men. Those two thieves, they had precious lives, their life was precious. No doubt their blood was precious too. But nothing like the death of that one in the middle tree. That was a holy death. That was a consecrated death. That was a sacrificial death. That was an atoning death. So their blood was unholy, the thieves. But Christ's blood was holy. The only holy blood in the covenant that obtains our salvation. For it's not possible that the blood of beasts and of all those other things could take away sin. So the Lord reminds us of the holiness of the blood at the table. 
This is my blood. Apostates deny the cleansing virtue of the blood. They deny the atonement of the cross. They say sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice is unrighteous, unjust. And yet it is the clear teaching of the word of God. It is by this that we are saved, the blood of Christ, and by this we overcome Satan. And so Christians, they love, they love the blood. And they preach the blood of Christ. And they trust the blood. And they look to the blood. The blood of the covenant. Let us remember it this morning at the table. The last thing is the spirit of grace. And as I said, by the spirit here is meant the third divine person. The crowning aggravation of the sin of apostasy is to do despite to the Holy Spirit. All manner of sin and all blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit hath never forgiveness. Doing despite to the Holy Spirit. That lovely, gentle Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, who is grace, grace, gentleness and grace, kindness. You remember he came down in the form of a dove upon Messiah. The gentleness, the gracefulness of the Holy Ghost. And all those mighty works that Messiah did in his tenderness to sinners, to unclean, to impure, to lepers, and to defiled. All the works of gentleness that Jesus did, he did as the Christ. Possessed with all the fullness of the gentleness of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace. It is the Spirit that cast out the devils. Remember Jesus said, I by the Holy Spirit cast out devils. Oh, he sets men free. It's the Holy Spirit that regenerates. It's the Holy Spirit that dares to go into that human heart with all its defilement, with all its stain, with all its uncleanness. He dares to go in there on the grounds of the blood to renovate it. To cast out the devils. And to do the sanctifying work. And would we do despite unto him? And therefore to reproach him is the greatest crime. To insult him is the height of wickedness and the blasphemy that hath no forgiveness. And so to say there is no Holy Spirit. Or to say he is a mere figment. Or a metaphor for God. And to mock the things of the Spirit. Is to mock the Spirit himself. And apostates do that. They mock the word of the Spirit. They mock the sacraments of the Spirit. They mock the faith. That he originates in our hearts. They mock the offers that he gives in the gospel.
doing despite unto the Spirit. And so they joke about our holy religion, these apostates. Not only joke about it, but have contempt for it, calling the things of God impure and unrighteous. Repudiating atonement, God's remedy for sin, and preaching up works righteousness and denying the grace of God and the necessity of the Holy Spirit's work in us. We need the Holy Spirit. We have no work in us at all without the Holy Spirit. It's a sham work if it's not the Holy Spirit doing it. We need the Holy Ghost. Let us never despise the things of the Spirit, but love them, embrace them. Let us humble ourselves before that gentle Spirit and implore the Father for more of his grace. He is kind. He is forgiving. If we but repent and turn. So let us encourage the Spirit's work in us. Let us pray and use all the means of grace that are made available to us. And let us implore his mercy and his grace. And let us pray that his word may always come to us with his power and his blessing. That we'll never have a ministry, that we'll never have preaching, that we'll never have sermons, that we'll never have something going on in the house of God that is bereft of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost. And we confess I believe in the Holy Ghost. So let's not neglect him. And certainly let us not do despite to him. And let us come to the table. For the Spirit says, come. The Son of God says, come. The Father says, come. The blood that was shed, that speaketh better things than that of Abel, says, come. The everlasting covenant that stands out in letters of gold and glory says come. And the grace, the grace of Almighty God, the grace of the Father, the grace of the Son and the grace of the Holy Spirit says come. So let us come and remember our Lord.